So thanks again uh, for your welcome, and it's lovely to be with you. It is a bit like a trip down memory lane in many ways. So we're going to read the, the psalm that Alistair mentioned, Psalm 73. Great psalm, very helpful. Um, the beginning of book three in the psalms, Psalm 73. A psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the blessing it is to have your word. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you that it is as relevant this evening as when it was composed and originally sung 
And so we pray for your help, the help of your Holy Spirit, as we turn to this psalm in a few moments. Help us to understand it. Speak to us. Show us the Lord Jesus Christ in this psalm. We thank you that we have a saviour, that hope that we've just been able to sing about. Lord God, thank you for the the witness of this church and for your blessing over 53 years. Pray that you would continue to help and guide and provide and strengthen. May your people here know true unity in Jesus Christ, a desire to to love one another, to pray together and for one another, to serve you and each other. And we pray that you would help this church in reaching out with the good news of Jesus Christ, that more would be added to the number here as they come to know this Lord Jesus. We pray for the the various Christmas leaflets going out and books and booklets and the opportunity that provides. And we pray that people would read them and would encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. We have so much need all around us. We pray that you would help and guide the, the elders here in the church, provide for them, give them much strength in the days that lie ahead. Bless the ongoing preaching of your word here. You know your people here. You know the particular needs of people this evening. Some gathered discouraged, anxious. Some have drifted a bit. Lord, we pray that whatever needs there are, you would draw near. We think of the world in which we live. We think of this nation. Give wisdom to the government at this time, with this new variant, the virus. Give much wisdom. Give humility. Lord, show this government that, that there's, they are but people and they need help from above. Humble them before you. We pray for ongoing freedom in this land to be able to proclaim Jesus Christ and that you would help us in that. We pray for the work of the the Christian Union here in the university as well and pray that you would bless their Christmas witness and that you would save students where there is perhaps an openness to the gospel. Lord, be at work, we ask. Lord, we pray for the world. So much difficulty. We think of persecuted Christians in different parts of the world this evening. And we pray that you would, you would draw near to Christians in India, in China, in Vietnam, who face such difficulties, hostilities, beatings, imprisonment. Lord, give great strength and encouragement. And we pray that you would help us as we sing, as we pray, as we open your word. Draw near to us. Humble us before you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing of our beautiful Saviour all my days.
We need to be careful, I think, about quoting Bible verses to people who are struggling and finding life difficult. We can almost beat people over the head with Bible verses and be a bit insensitive. This psalm begins, surely God is good. We can say that to people, can't we, in difficulty. And we have to be careful, as I've just said, about that. But when somebody writes or sings or says, surely God is good, and it's somebody who 
has gone through great difficulties and they're saying, surely God is good. Maybe we would be more inclined to listen and to take seriously their opinion, their experience of the goodness of God in difficulty. It's one thing to say God is good when everything's going well. It's another thing to say God is good when things are going well, so it seems. Asaph should be a friend of ours. Psalm 73 should be a friend of ours because it relates to us. Asaph is somebody who reached a point in his life where he effectively said, I quit. But then he said, I can't quit because Jesus doesn't quit. That's our title this evening, the last thing, Jesus doesn't quit. But we have to get through the I quit, I can't quit to the Jesus doesn't quit. I quit. That's where we're starting this evening. Why did Asaph say I quit. Why have you said at times, maybe, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Why have I said as a Christian and the Christian life, I quit. That's it. What's the point? Psalm 73, Asaph lays it out there in verse 3. I envied the wicked. When I saw the prosperity, sorry, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. My feet had almost slipped, Asaph said. That's pretty serious, isn't it? He's thinking of walking out on the Lord. Because what is the point of being a Christian following Jesus? Asaph wrote these words without having access to social media, where our minds are flooded with all sorts of temptations to quit, pressures to quit. A modern day Asaph would be on Instagram or Facebook. Perhaps looking at the lives of other people. People who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at their lives. People he, he studied with at university. Perhaps some of his schoolmates. And they've grown up. They've never trusted the Lord. They live godless lives. And yet he looks at them on social media. And he sees their perfect lives. Their happy Families, even their teeth are perfect in the pictures. And Asaph says, Well, I, I follow the Lord and I don't have any of that. What's the point? Maybe he looks back to a point in his life where oh, there, oh, there, there was that person, that special person. 
But I didn't pursue that relationship, Lord, because I knew it would lead me away from you. I knew it wasn't right. But I did it for you, Lord. What have you done for me when I compare myself with these other people who seem to be getting on so well? Maybe somebody here this evening, some kind of pursuit that you could have had. Maybe it's a real sporting interest, but in order to follow that interest, it would have taken so much time investment and would have eroded your Sundays that you just didn't pursue it. Maybe there's a little bit of bitterness when you look at other people and they've, they've ended up doing very well in their particular walk of life. That could have been me if it wasn't for Jesus and the church. And maybe just the, the daily challenge. You know, as a Christian, having to be kind to people, even when they're unkind to me. Loving your enemies. What's the point? It's never got me anywhere. I've done all this for you, Lord. What? Please give me something back. Maybe it's just plain old envying sin. I look at these people's lives and I just want some of their carefree party lifestyle. I'd like to just let my hair down for a while and have some of that. I could go on. Psalm 73 is a great psalm simply because it's in the Bible. It's a bit like Psalm 88, which is probably one of my favorite psalms. It's so gloomy and depressing. It ends with the darkness being the person's closest friend, the sons of Korah. Why is it great? One of the reasons it's great is because it's in the Bible. And it's a believer saying these things. It's a believer. Asaph, he's got lots of other psalms, saying these things. And so we have a friend, don't we? He even gives us a vocabulary that we can use to express our concerns to the Lord and just pour them out before him when we're tempted to say, I quit. Well, while it's important to know that you're not the first, we can't leave it there because that would be a pretty rubbish message this evening. Well, we're okay because others have felt like that as well. Because Asaph, in this psalm, he says, I quit, but then he moves to, I can't quit. Before we mention that, it's just a, an important thing, thing in verse 15. Asaph says, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. What's that all about? It seems that what Asaph is saying is he, he almost put a guard over his mouth. He's having all these doubts and fears and what is the point? I quit. I want to give up. But he doesn't go around 
telling everybody about that indiscriminately because he recognises that to do so would be an in, a potential discouragement to other Christians. We should share our burdens and our troubles and talk, talk them over with people who can help and can pray for you, but at the same time we mustn't just discourage everybody either. There's got to be that balance. And Asaph says he's basically keeping a guard over his mouth. Our witness affects other people. Church life is important. But Asaph came to his senses. I quit, I quit, I quit. But then what happens? When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. It is oppressive, isn't it? When we look at wickedness prospering in the world. Sometimes we seem to have it so difficult. Bad things can happen and it can be such a challenge. But then, he says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. And it's almost reaching a point where he says, well, how on earth can I envy these people? Because actually they've got nothing. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. What is the sanctuary of God? What's he referring to? Well, isn't it the temple? This isn't a case of going into like St. Paul's Cathedral, and just being overwhelmed by the sense of what a lovely building. You've got a lovely building here as well, but I don't think Asaph's coming into to your building admiring the architecture, and suddenly I get it. The temple. The temple was designed by God. The Lord came down onto the mountain and gave clear instructions to Moses of how it was to be built, and what was to go on there? If you went and hung out in the temple for a day, one thing you would see a lot of would be death. Animals being put to death. You would have seen a high priest and priests serving. And the message you would have got would have been my sin, my wrong, and the sin of these people I'm envying matters. And where that's going to lead is death. And you'd have looked at the high priest and the other priests and recognized that actually I need a high priest to offer himself for me. Because I deserve to die. That's where my sins are leading. The Lord had given the Israelite people this visual sermon all about the Lord Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. And they were to lift his eyes to him. They were to offer their sacrifices trusting in that perfect sacrifice who was to come. Asaph goes into the temple and suddenly he sees, why am I envying these people? Why am I envying people who are on slippery ground? They don't know the Lord. 
They're heading for judgment. All of these animals that are being put to death and put to death and put to death, they're picturing to me that once for all sacrifices is going to be made on my behalf one day. And without Jesus' sacrifice, I face that judgment to come. That's where these people are, are heading. In verse 20, he makes reference to dream and fantasies. When we think of people who seem to have so much, they seem to have everything. It's a bit like a dream and a fantasy. This is very many ways difficult to speak about. But when we, we read in the, in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it makes reference to Moses. And it refers to the pleasures of sin. But it talks to them about about them as fleeting pleasures. They're pleasures but for a moment. The Bible's very honest. It doesn't deny that there's pleasure in sin. So we need to be careful because the temptation is real. But it's for a moment. It's fleeting. It's gone. And what these verses in this verse 20 almost seems to be saying to us is that People can have lived the most seemingly fulfilling life with all the pleasures that you could possibly imagine. But in a lost eternity that the Bible calls hell, in that place, there will be no pleasant memories. There won't be any looking back on pleasure because there will be nothing pleasurable in that life. And as Asaph starts to reckon with that, whereas for the Christian, somebody who's trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the best is always yet to come. As a pastor of a church, had the privilege and great responsibility and I would say joy of standing at the gravesite of people who have died in Jesus Christ. And there's grief and there's sadness and the sense of loss is very real. But we can speak and sing about the fact that this person, their soul is with Jesus. Their body will be raised and reunited with their soul. You can look forward. And what Asaph is saying is, I wouldn't exchange all the pleasures in the world for that hope, which is very real. It really is. very sad when the people Asaph was tempted to envy and was envying get close to death. And without any hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, all, all they can do is share a few photos and memories and look back. There's nothing to look forward to. It's tragic, isn't it? 
to not have God, to not know the Lord Jesus. Because Asaph goes on to say, you hold me by my right hand and afterwards you will take me into glory. Asaph realizes that this Lord is with him every day. Even in death itself, he's not going to be separated from this Lord. We see that pictured, perhaps in one of the most great ways in the Bible, in the death of Stephen. It's in the book of Acts. He's stoned to death. And as he's dying, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's standing ready to receive Stephen. That hope is very real. Before we get on to the final point, just one other thing under this, I can't quit. One of the the challenges really is, if we are in a kind of Asaph situation, where we're doubting, envying, perhaps being drawn towards abandoning the faith, gradually drifting, what tends to happen in those situations and what can happen is it it's often not a sudden thing. It's a slow drift and we can tend to stay away and we can tend to think, well, I, I, I'm not going to pray because I perhaps don't feel quite right about it. I urge you, if that's you this evening, maybe the starting point is to, to pray that the Lord would help you to pray. And he would give you a desire to pray and a desire to, to want to know him. But don't stay away. Church life is so important. I think we're kidding ourselves if we think Psalm 73 was, that's only Asaph's experience. That isn't ours. Church life's so important because we have a responsibility to one another together to encourage each other, when there are those doubts and those fears, to keep going, to keep going. Well, I said we'd get there. I quit. I can't quit. Because Jesus doesn't quit. We need to consider, in many ways, this should have been the starting point, but it didn't quite fit with the flow. Let's consider Jesus in the light of this psalm. The Lord Jesus Christ had a real human nature, just like yours. The Bible is very clear that he was tempted in every way as we are. There's a big difference though, isn't there? Not in how he was tempted, but in the fact that he never bowed to that temptation. He was without sin. So one of the things Jesus would have been tempted to do would have been to envy the wicked and to say, what's the point? So Psalm 73 is a very helpful psalm as we understand the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're wondering about that, some verses in Isaiah chapter 49. Verses 3 and 4 that are about the servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to me, 
You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. So those are words that are being spoken to our Lord. He responds, but I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. When Jesus began his, as we can use the word, public ministry, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. In the wilderness, Jesus was tempted by Satan right at the beginning of his ministry. He was tempted with what seemed to be instant success, glory without the hardship of the cross. No need to take up the cross. That was a temptation that was going to come again from Satan using Peter of all people. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ, a traveling preacher, crowds flocking to him at times, healing people, feeding people, even raising the dead. Surely such a man is entitled to the finest of living. I mean, the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they, they certainly were very wealthy and prosperous. They were doing well for themselves. But Jesus, the Son of Man, had nowhere to lay his head. The temptation that would have come upon him to envy the wicked. I just want to make the point, I'm not saying he envied the wicked. But being tempted isn't sin. Otherwise we can't make sense of the Bible. They said Peter came to the Lord and physically tried to restrain him from going to the cross. Again, temptation there for the Lord Jesus Christ. But his desire always to do his father's will. Think about those words that were spoken to Jesus on the mountain. At his baptism. This is my son. My beloved son. My son with whom I'm well pleased. Let me think about his life and think, well, did he really look like somebody with whom God was well pleased? He certainly didn't when he was led out to the cross. And when those people shouted, if you are the son of God, because let's face it, to any sensible person, he didn't look like somebody who was being blessed by God, the son of God, hanging upon the cross, 
a place of cursing. He's one that deserved everybody's praise. Alistair read Psalm 150 at the beginning, this great chorus of praise for from all creation, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And yet he's not receiving much praise on the cross. Sarcastic comments, hatred, questioning who he is, vile insults, and forsaken by his heavenly Father. Jesus didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross. Because he fixed his eyes on the joy that was set before him. And he finished the work. Jesus is the ultimate man of faith. Because in the darkness of the cross... In the darkness of the garden where he prayed before the cross, where the, the whole weight of it all weighed upon him and he understood more of the place he was going to and that darkness was going to reign and he was going to suffer the wrath of God, this sinless man, this heavenly man, as all that weighed upon him. And he entered right into that darkness being forsaken by his father. By faith, Jesus walked, not quitting, finishing the work that he had been given to do. Never for a moment not loving his heavenly father with all of his heart and mind and soul and strength, not for a moment Failing to love his neighbour as himself. It's wonderful. And he uttered those words, it is finished. And the ultimate man of faith was able to commit his spirit into his father's hands. He'd been enduring Suffering the wrath of his father. And yet this man of faith commits his spirit into his father's hands. Jesus doesn't quit. And Asaph couldn't quit. Because Jesus didn't quit with him. And he doesn't quit with you. Jesus has overcome. We have one there at the right hand of God who gets it. He knows what it's like to walk through this life, to be tempted by envying the wicked. He knows. He knows what it's like to be tempted to quit. And so we have one who sympathizes with us, who draws near who gives us all that we need. And we know that he doesn't quit with us because we see his finished work. We know he's going to return. We can read in the book of Romans and, and chapter 8 about the love that the Father has for us. Look, he didn't spare his son. He will give you all that you need. 
Well, as we finish, back to these verses. I think Alistair read earlier as well. Maybe you didn't read this one. Uh, Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Yes, you did. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. When the Lord Jesus Christ was sent into this world, he wasn't just sent to make it possible for people to be saved. He was sent to save people. He doesn't just make it possible for for people to come to him. He saves. He gave himself to save and he takes and he saves. And the work is finished and the work he has begun in you, he will continue. Trust him. Tell of him. I'm going to finish by reading some words from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be, has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I'm going to sing about the finished work of Jesus. It's finished. The Messiah dies.